0: Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and he said that this is a word that is at work within you. You know, I was reading a really good book this week, filled my mind with information. wasn't a Christian book, but it's not going to change me. It doesn't have the power to change me. But God's word has the power to change us, and we need to be changed. And so we tremble with expectation as we open God's Word. And all my job is to do is to help you see the clarity of it and then help drive home the application, the challenge of it. And so I've put on the screen, who am I? Because the thing about Mark's gospel is that it centers around this question. Mark is writing that we might know who Jesus is. That's the whole purpose of the book. But he is no Agatha Christie. This is not a a mystery book. He begins in verse 1 by telling you that this is the Son of God. He ends by telling you that this is the Son of God, and I was, I was going to take that title as well as the Christ title that comes up here, but I'm just going to take the Christ title. But as I was looking at the title Son of God in my preparation, I realized that in some ways I'd misunderstood it. It's a word rich in the Old Testament, but Mark was writing from Rome, The capital of the known world at that time, and the Caesars, the emperors, referred to themselves as the Son of God. Can you imagine how subversive this book was then in the Roman world? And to have at the end of this book a Roman centurion saying, Surely this is the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? Mark writing from Rome, showing a centurion and soldier within the Roman system, saying, No, 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 no. It's not the Caesar who's the Son of God, it's the crucified Messiah. Now, during the week, I was visiting someone and I told them that I was struggling with the sermon. Um, And uh, she said, What's it about? I said, well, it's really about the term Christ that comes in the center of this passage. Who am I? Peter says, you're the Christ. And this person that I was talking to said, you know, I was just thinking about that very thing. She said, so often we use terms relating to Jesus without thinking about what those terms mean. And so we could almost think of Jesus Christ as if Christ was his surname, not a title. And we, we, you know, in our world, unfortunately and tragically, people use Christ as a curse word. But this is a rich word. I'll give you just an idea of who it is before we look at this passage and dwell it out a little bit. But the Christ, which was Greek... Same word, Messiah, in Hebrew and Aramaic, what they were speaking at the time. Christ, or Messiah, meant anointed one. Prophets and kings were anointed. It was a way of saying, this is God's choosing. This is God's declaration, not yours. You know, he's not being appointed by a democratic vote. Christ, the anointed one, and during that time as the un- Old Testament unfolded, there was an expectation of a Christ figure who would be a king in the line of David who would rescue his people. And now we see that he has arrived. So three questions, so you know where I'm going. First question, who do people say Jesus is? That's what Jesus asked the disciples. Second question, who does Peter, and Peter is responding on behalf of all the disciples, he's their spokesman, who does Peter say that Jesus is? And then a question for us, who do we say that Jesus is? Three questions. First question, who do people say Jesus is? I think we have both modern, we have inadequate, and we have Ancient answers to that question. So, an ancient answer look what these guys say. The disciples say that some people say you're Elijah, and still others say that you're John the Baptist raised to life. Now, if we go out into Limerick City, no one's going to give that answer. That's an ancient answer. It was related to where they were at that time and their expectation of Elijah coming before the Messiah and their experience of John the Baptist. But then there's an an inadequate answer. Do you see the next one? You're one of the prophets. It's a kind of a religious answer. It's true. Jesus was a prophet, but he was so much more than a prophet. And it's interesting because our Muslim friends in Islam, they think of Jesus as just being a prophet. I was thinking about this. Uh, Various religions have different ideas. So the New Age movement, influenced by Hinduism, believes that Jesus is an avatar. I'm not even sure what an avatar is. Bob, what is an avatar? You don't know either. Um, I think it's some sort of image, isn't it? Uh, so that's what New Age people... Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, and I think this is crazy, they believe that um, Jesus is the Archangel Michael. But Jesus is much more than that. Those are inadequate or false answers. But then there's the modern answer. Because if you go out to the streets today and you ask people, who do you think Jesus is? One of the things that they're likely to say is, he is a good teacher. And that's the answer that C.S. Lewis obsessed about a little bit in his book, Mere Christianity. He got really cross that people would say that. He said, that's patronizing. It's patronizing because Jesus never gave you that option. He didn't arrive and say, you could have me as a good teacher. He said, it's also foolish because he said, could you imagine someone who says the sort of things that Jesus says, just being a good teacher, it wouldn't make any sense. Think about it. Mark's gospel chapter 2. Jesus stands up and he says to someone, your sins are forgiven. And his enemies know exactly the implication of that. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And right throughout the gospel of Mark and on each of the four gospels, Jesus does things that only God can do. Now think of it for a moment a religious teacher comes in and stands behind this pulpit and starts saying things that you go, well, that's a bit interesting. He says, I'm a good teacher. And then he says, but I I also can forgive your sin. I have that power. You don't think he's a good teacher. You think he's deluded. He's out of his mind. Or, Or he's a complete liar and a fraud. To read the Gospels and reach the conclusion... That Jesus is a good teacher misses so much of what he says and what he does. It's just not an option. And then Peter, second question, asks, or Jesus asks Peter, who do you, the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, You're the Christ. Remember, God's chosen anointed god doing it god's chosen anointed king in the line of david who would bring rescue and that's who he is and this is what i really love about this look at this before this this passage really begins with the miracle of the man receiving his sight in the passage before and goes on to the next two passages before Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, a blind man is given his sight. And Mark wants us to see the significance of that. You don't come to realize that Jesus is God's promised Messiah on your own. God does it. Same thing is in Matthew's Gospel chapter 16, where after he says You are the Christ in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, another word for Peter, son of Jonah, because his flesh and blood did not tell you this, but my Father in heaven. And there's a really important thing about this. How do you know you're a Christian? Like I know some of you struggle with with doubt, as I have often. Am I really belonging to Jesus? Well, one of the ways I know that I'm a Christian is because I love what's in this book. I love that Jesus is the Christ. And I love that he is the Christ in the fullness of what that means. You know, because James says, you know, demons can say it, but to know it, to love it, to accept it, that's a work of God. And so it brings me assurance when I look at my life, as crummy as it can be at times, to think, but God has made me love this truth. And that is evidence of his Holy Spirit within you. It's one of the ways we feel assurance of our faith. And then the third question, who do you say I am? Now, You'll notice, and we'll see more about this in two weeks' time when we come back to this passage, but the the blind man is healed in two stages. And it seems to be that, that Peter has grasped some of the truth, but not all of the truth. He's still missing something, and we'll see what it is in a moment. In fact, we see what it is by looking at verse 30. It's a very unusual verse. He tells Peter and the disciples something that he would never tell us. He says, don't go telling anyone about me being the Christ. Why? Well, it's because at this stage, Peter's people, the Jews, were waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, but they had the wrong expectation for who that Christ would be. They set their own agenda upon the Christ. They set their own agenda. What they wanted was someone who would bring them freedom, as we read in the Old Testament, but they set the the freedom too small. And they, they wanted someone who would come for a people, but they set the people too narrowly. See, they wanted freedom from the Romans, political freedom. But Jesus comes and offers us something so much better. Freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from death, freedom from hell. You know, you can live in a tyrannical regime like the the Christians did in the Roman Empire if you know in your heart that you're free. But you can have all the political freedom in the world, but if you're crushed by your own sense of guilt, you are not free. And Jesus comes to do something much greater than the Jews of that time had hoped for, but also much wider, because they thought only in terms of their own people, but in prophecies like Isaiah, this was going to be a king who would come from people from all over the world. And and don't we celebrate that in a multicultural congregation like this? That it wasn't kept just to one people in the ancient Near East, but that the Messiah came for a message that would spread. Interesting aside, in the book of Mark, which is leading up to the cross and the resurrection, the word Christ only occurs seven times. In the book of Romans, which is about similar length, Written after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Christ is used 64 times. Why? Because now that Jesus has died and been raised from the dead, we can see what sort of Messiah he is. And so we can use that word, here is the Christ. But as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, the temptation to put our own agenda on the Christ still exists first church I worked in was in Northern Ireland. And uh, when I arrived at that church, June, you can guess what, and Angela, you can guess what, what. one of the things they said, don't preach on, money. They said, don't preach on giving, right? And I say that because there are two treasures, and they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. So the people said, don't talk about money. OK, I can understand that. They didn't want to feel uncomfortable. But the other thing they said is, don't preach politics. And the funny thing about that is a southerner going to the north was over time I realized, particularly the men, they had no problem going to meetings where politics and religion were mixed. Half of them were in the Orange Order. And if you go to the Orange Order, they'll talk about politics and religion just like that. What they were saying is, don't preach your politics. And the problem is that right throughout this island, it's not long since people used to say for God and Ulster. Are they through through revolutions right throughout history? People have tried to bring God into the equation, and that we're doing this as a, a blood sacrifice. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm a different sort of revolutionary. I bring a different sort of freedom. I, I'm not a, a king who spreads his message by the sword. The freedom I bring is freedom from death, sin, and guilt. And and then there's another type of um, way that I think we can put our agenda on Jesus. It's what we might call the progressive Jesus. I, I don't think that Christianity has to be either conservative or liberal. After all, the word liberal means freedom, and we're a people of freedom. We have to challenge both the right and the left when it comes to politics. But, you know, there is this temptation in every culture to imagine that Jesus will always affirm our cultural values. He wouldn't be God then. And that that comes as a challenge for us. Like, sometimes you read things in this book that you wouldn't have chosen to put in this book if you were God but we're not God. And so you shouldn't be surprised that sometimes this book jars against both the right and the left in culture. That sometimes there's things in this book that that we have to sit under and go... That's not necessarily how I would have liked it to be, but I trust God being God, and I don't trust me by being me. One of the reformers, Martin Luther, said to one of his opponents, he says, The difference between you and me is that you stand over God's word and judge it. I sit under God's word and let it judge me. And then I suppose the last P, the last agenda, that we can put to the Messiah is the prosperity God. A God who would never grow you through times of pain, even though it clearly says that for his being his believer, there will be times where he will use pain in our life to change us. A God who people will say just wants you to be healthy and rich and have everything. And yet we know that with all those things comes danger I came uh, across uh, in another book that I was reading this week, Uh, it was Psalm 106, and he was talking at one stage about how in the Old Testament, the people demanded and demanded and demanded of God, and he gave them what they want, but at the expense of their own souls. You know, maybe we go with God with an agenda, and we say, I want you to fit into my agenda to fulfill my goals. And maybe God will say to us, look, if that's really what you want, you can have it, but you won't grow. You'll grow sometimes where you're brought to a place where you can only trust in me. After all, this is a Messiah, a Christ, who goes to a cross, we'll see in the next passage, and then in the passage after that tells us to take up our cross. So let's finish. Who is Jesus? During the week, someone rang me not from this church. This person rings me every now and then, and he wants to talk about spirituality. I've never made any progress with him. One of the reasons I've never made any progress with this man, who's a very nice man, is that he's influenced by a sort of New Age Hindu teacher who says that Jesus is just a a good teacher. And when I say to him, no, I believe that Jesus is God the Son and the Son of God, he kicks back against that. But the other thing, too, is that this man is deeply unsatisfied with that. Like all of us, he struggles with a sense of guilt. But think about it. If Jesus is only a good teacher, what can he do for your guilt? What can he do to give you hope? a good teacher can tell you how to live but a good teacher can't take your sin away you need the christ you need the promised rescuing king from god who goes to his cross to pay for your guilt that you the guilty one could go free and so i'll meet this guy again for coffee and i, I hope something's changed because as long as he can only think about Jesus being a good teacher, he will never experience the freedom that God's Messiah has come to offer each of us. And then finally, I was thinking, what's the consequence of Jesus being God's promised king? I think it means that we let him set our agenda You know, a king is someone to be respected, someone to honor, someone to be in awe of. And I'm very conscious that when I think about my daily life, often it's my agenda that takes precedence. My name that I want to make look good. But if he's my king and I am his subject as loving as he is, as much as he is my friend, he's also one I live to please and say, show me how to live. And so every day, remind yourself that Jesus, the compassionate, gentle Savior, is also the King who follows not our agenda but whose agenda we seek to follow. And he's, you know, it's not a mystery what he's calling us to do. The opposite of verse 30, go tell everyone. That's what he tells us. Pray. Pray. I was thinking just over the weekend about this sermon and this service, and I felt like God said, More than anything else, what matters is that you pray in preparation for it. And sometimes I'm not very good at that. And love and forgive. Let Him set the agenda. Let's pray.